my wife Catherine had an opportunity to go into a local school and to uh, speak to a, a, a quite a big group of children about uh, the Christmas message. So a, a sort of wonderful, great opportunity that my wife had this week. And I suppose, well, as part as, as part of this, what Catherine did was ask all of these children. She asked the question, "Whose birthday is it that we celebrate?" At Christmas time. So you can, you can imagine what happens. You know, all the hands go up and all the kids, miss, miss, we know the answer to this. All the hands go up. So Catherine asks one or two of the children, okay, whose, whose birthday do we celebrate Christmas? And they said, Santa, yes. Yeah, they said, Santa. What surprised Catherine most of all was that not one of the children saw that Christmas was anything about Jesus Christ. Not one of those children. And this is, you know, nice middle-class English school. Not one of the children knew that Christmas had anything to do at all with Jesus. It was all about Santa. Nothing to do with Jesus. Okay, fine. Uh, You know, that serves as a sort of illustration of just how lost Christmas is in our society, doesn't it? Now, take that, chuck it, and and, and forget about it. Because what we need to consider just now and today is whether that there that we're talking about might actually be the case for us in here. Now, do, do you see what I mean? Like, that perhaps even within the church, perhaps even as Christians we are maybe losing sight of the the, the meaning and the importance of Christmas. Now, you know, obviously we know it's about Jesus. Obviously we know it's about, about, about Bethlehem and it's about the manger. Of course, we're Christians. We know that. But, but perhaps we're losing sight of the magnitude, you know, the, the splendor of all, the, the wonder of just what happened in Bethlehem all those years ago. Well, it's that that we're going to consider just for a short time just now. And to do that, what we're going to do is look at this Old Testament prophecy that we've read together in Micah. Now, try and get your heads around this. It is an 8th century BC uh, prophecy. And it is a prophecy, like the rest of Micah, that deals with themes of judgment and themes of hope. So let's have a look at this. Can I invite you, please, if you haven't done so already, just to have it open in front of you. What was it? Page 933 in your Bible. Micah chapter 5. Let's consider firstly, we see here a stark prophecy of judgment. A stark prophecy of judgment. Judgment. Okay. Now, we've seen before when we were in another sermon series that part of the role of uh, these guys, these Old Testament prophets, was to do what? It was to predict the future. Do you remember that? We saw, we've, we've seen that before. The part of what these Old Testament prophets did now and again was they sort of revealed to the people the coming wrath of God, you know, the, the coming judgment uh, upon sin. Now, that is what we've got here. Now, if we are going to understand Micah chapter 5, if we're going to get our heads around this at all, 
then I urge you to see and appreciate just how wicked, oh, you know, just how sinful the people of God were in, in Micah's day. I mean, these people were just incredibly immoral at this point in history. And to get our, to get our heads around it, let's think about the city of London in the present day, okay? Now think about all the people that sort of mill around here, you know, out in Aldersgate Street, sort of Monday to Friday. Now think about all these, these, these people's, think about their wealth. Think about their prosperity. There's a lot of prosperity kicking about here, right? Isn't there? Well, that's what it was like in Micah's day. This, the 8th century BC was an incredibly prosperous time for the people of Judah. Now, fine, there's, 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 there's no problem with that, is there? But what we have to understand is that along with that wealth came this huge upsurge in, in, in greed. That along with the wealth came dishonesty. And I suppose just like the city of London at Christmas time, there was also this sort of very thin veneer of religiosity, but very little in the, in the way of sort of heartfelt devotion to God. Do you see it? I mean, these people were incredibly, incredibly wicked. And when we understand that, we begin to see why Micah arrives in chapter 5. And he arrives with a prophecy of coming judgment from God. But what does he say? Have a look. Look at verse 1. Look at this judgment. I'll read it. He says, Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. Now what does that mean? A city of troops, a siege is laid against us. Well, I suppose what we have to to realize is that at this point in time, the land was divided into two. Okay, so you had Israel in the north and you had Judah in the south. And in the immediate background here, what's happened is that the Assyrian army has come into Israel in the north and they've invaded and they've annexed part of Israel. So in that context, you see what God is saying here in verse 1. God is saying that these people, because of your sin, because of your wickedness, that just like your northern neighbors, you, the people in Jerusalem, you are about to come face to face with your enemies in a siege. Now you see that this is bad news, what the people are hearing here. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than this. This is a prophecy of, of war. This is a prophecy in, of invasion. But let me tell you that the prophecy of judgment just gets worse here. Have any of you in here heard of a Glasgow kiss? Does anybody know what a, a Glasgow kiss is? Well, a Glasgow kiss is if you are in a physical fight with someone which I hope doesn't happen all that often to you, uh, that's uh, if they headbutt you, again, I hope that doesn't happen very often, that headbutt is called a Glasgow kiss. A Glasgow kiss. Now, when we were young boys, getting a Glasgow kiss, it wasn't uh, just something that was sore, and it was sore, 
But it was also, you know, the epitome of humiliation. You know, to get beaten up by somebody's bad enough. But if you got a Glasgow kiss along with this, you know, that was, oh, it was just the epitome of shame and humiliation for a young Scottish lad. Well, believe it or not, that is what Mike is talking about here in verse 1. Again, just have a look at the next part of it. He says, a siege is laid against us. Next part, look at it. He says, they will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. And that there, it's the same, it's the same idea as a Glasgow kiss. Striking someone on the cheek in the Bible, it has the same connotation of not just, you know, you've been defeated, but it's got the connotation of you suffering a great humiliation, a, a great shame upon you. So do you see again what is being said here? Such is this, such is the severity of the coming judgment upon these people in Micah chapter 5. That God is saying to them, you are not, because of your sin, just going to be defeated. You are not just going to be wiped out or annihilated. There's going to be shame here for you. There is going to be humiliation. Now, I'm sure you would agree with me, this is pretty bleak, isn't it? I mean, first thing on a Sunday morning, this is just doom and and gloom that we've we've got here. But the question that we have to ask ourselves here is, what is it for us at LCPC, what what is it we learn here in Scripture? Well, get this, get, get this. We, we can genuinely look back on what Micah says to the people of God here, and we can see that this prophecy of judgment was fulfilled. And it always staggers me, it shouldn't stagger me, but, but it's true. We, we can look at this and we can see that what he says here was fulfilled. You know, just a few years after what Micah says to these, these people, do you know what happens? The Assyrians come. And an Assyrian king, Sennacherib, he, he does this. He lays siege to Jerusalem. Do you see it? I mean, it's, it's true because it's scripture. It's, it's fulfilled. But do you know what? There's something else. And I want you to hear this. And I want you to think about this very, very hard. You see, what we have to understand is that this prophecy of judgment that we've got here in Micah 5 is written for you as much as it's written for for the people here. Now just think with me, think through it. When I was talking about the situation of immorality and sin in Judah at that time, did you not think of this society at Christmas time today? Did you not think about that? Did you not see the parallels? What did I say? I said, "A, a, a people who are wealthy but given over to greed. A people who are thinking of themselves, but not thinking of God. What do we say? You know, think about Christmas time. A people who pretend almost to be religious, but have nothing in the way of, of, of personal faith. That's now, isn't it? I mean, that's today, this society at Christmas time. So what we have to see is that ultimately what you have got in Micah chapter 5 is a prophecy that, that points forward to a final siege 
This is something that, that, that speaks of a, of a final judgment. That, that God, in his wisdom, in his mercy as well, that he has perfectly preserved this prophecy to show what awaits us. To show what awaits you and I if we do not bow, if we do not repent and turn to him a holy God. And I kind of know what you're thinking. Dare I say you're maybe thinking, Andy, this is Christmas time, man. And this is not a protective thing to talk about, you know. You're talking about judgment. Talking about the need to, to, to get on your knees before God and to cry to him in repentance. That is not particularly Christmassy. But I, I beg to differ. You see, think about this. It's only when we, we understand this morning, and it's only when we see and appreciate the severity of the judgment that was coming to us because of our sin. It's only then, when we understand that, do we see the, the sheer significance of the birth of one who has come to save you and I from all of that. We see here a, a stark prophecy of judgment. Okay, secondly, we see here a precise prophecy of a ruler. That's our second heading. A precise prophecy of a ruler. Okay, now if ever there was uh, a shift in mood in a piece of writing uh, is what you've got in front of you here, isn't it? Because we've had all that sort of bleakness, that doom uh, in verse 1. And do you see what happens in verse 2? You see what happens? Suddenly all these dark clouds lift and there is a ray of light. I suppose you could say that, that that gloom is replaced by hope. Now, what we have to see is that the hope that Micah speaks of uh, from verse 2 onwards it is not a sort of vague or ill-defined hope. No, this, this hope here, it centers around an exact prophecy do you see what it is? Do you see what it is in verse 2? It is a, 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 an exact prophecy of a coming ruler. Of one who is going to act to bring deliverance for, for his people. This is marvelous. So let's look at this. Let's think about what we are told from Micah 5 about this ruler that was going to come and bring deliverance. Let's think about what we're told about this coming Messiah. Okay, first of all, look at this. We learn of this new ruler's place of birth. Do you see that in verse 2? It says that, that this promised Messiah will be born where? Where? Bethlehem Ephrathah. Now, that detail uh, there is incredibly important. Now, think about it. The, the, the people... In Micah's time, I think they would have been questioning God. Years before had God had promised King David, gone to King David and promised him an everlasting dynasty. And so the people in Micah's day, hearing about this invasion, hearing about this defeat 
they are surely questioning God, questioning the faithfulness of that promise that he has made to David about an everlasting dynasty. And so what does God do? What does God say? Yes, God promises them deliverance, but from where? Where's the deliverance coming from? It's coming from Bethlehem. It's coming from the town of David. Do you see what God's saying? He is promising his people a saviour. A saviour from the Davidic line. It's glorious. So the ruler is from Bethlehem. He's from the line of David. We learn something else about this Messiah here, don't we? We learn of this new ruler's origin. So if you've got your Bible there, just have a look again at verse 2. So not Bethlehem, Ephrath, but look again at verse 2. Where does it say he's from? What does it say about his origins? You see it? It says that this new leader for the people, his origins are of old. His origins, it's quite, quite something, isn't it? Prophecy about a ruler whose origins are of old or from ancient times. Now, I guess you could say to me that that just reinforces the fact that he's from the family. His origins are of old. They reach back to King David. Now, that's part of it, definitely. But come on, you're a biblically literate group of people. I mean, you see what that says. His origins are of old. His origins are of old. From ancient times, you, you, you see what, what, what Micah is saying here. You see, you read this in the original language and it has the force that this ruler is from time immemorial. That this ruler is from remotest times. And I was reading this, you know, when I was preparing a sermon this week, sitting at my desk, reading Micah chapter 5 and the words of my, that my Old Testament lecturer said about this, they just came flooding back into my mind. And he said that what Micah is, is, is prophesying of here is a ruler who was both, now get your heads around it, a ruler who was both in the Davidic line and a ruler who was more than human. That he was off old from ancient times. That we have here more than a hint of this ruler's divinity. So he's from Bethlehem, the line of David, and he is more than human. But do you know what? We learn also here something about this new ruler's motives. Now, this is important. Like, I, I think if you put yourselves in the shoes of Micah's original hearers, these people who are getting this judgment announced to them, you can almost sense their skepticism about what Micah's saying. You know, they, they, they may, might have said back to Micah, okay, Micah, a new ruler. Well, we're the people of God. We have had an awful lot of rulers, and most of these guys have been pretty corrupt. Most of the rulers we've had have been really self-serving. What is it about this guy, this new ruler, that is going to make him any different to any ruler that we've had before? And then God answers that with two words in verse 2. Great words. He doesn't say, out of you is going to come a ruler. He doesn't say that. Listen to what he does say. Out of you will come for me. 
one who will rule over Israel. Do you see what God is saying? He's saying that this ruler that is prophesied of and spoken of here, he's entirely different to to any ruler who has ever lived. Why? Because he will rule for me. He will rule for God. That his his motives, his everything are entirely aligned with, with the Lord. That this new ruler that we've got here, that he's going to live as... He's going to live with God's honor as his soul, as his unique and only goal. Do you see what we've got here? Do you see how wonderful this prophecy is? We've got a prophecy of a Davidic king. We've got a prophecy of a a divine king. We've got a prophecy of a thoroughly devoted king. Now, I ask you this morning, what are you thinking? As you take Micah chapter 5, as we put all the little bits and pieces and all the little details in Micah 5 together, what do, you, what do you think about this? Are you engaging with it? If you are, is it blowing your mind, Micah chapter 5? I mean, you see, surely you see, that all of the details that we've got in Micah chapter 5 they find their fulfillment in the first century. Surely you see that everything that we've got here, all these verses, all these details, that they find their fulfillment in the coming into the world of of Jesus of Nazareth. You you see that. You, You must see that. Now, I wonder, if you are a Christian here this morning, do you see in Micah chapter 5 the mercy of God staring back at you? You see, your God knows that you doubt him. God knows that that you struggle even with sometimes things like his existence. God knows that you doubt and you you worry about the person of Jesus Christ and the salvation of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ. He knows that you doubt these things and you worry about... So what does God do? What does he do? Well, in his mercy, what he does is this. Here, he perfectly preserves a a, a prophecy from antiquity so that we this morning can gather together, we can open the Bible and we can look and say, "Well, well, yes, it's true, it is true that this baby that we're celebrating at this time of year, that this baby is the, the, the Christ. And then maybe even this, Maybe even if you are not a a Christian this morning, you look at Micah chapter 5 and you see the mercy of God staring back at you. Maybe even for the first time you see that. Maybe you see that God so desires your salvation that what he has done for you is not just record the birth of Jesus in the New Testament. He's not just done that so that you will look to Christ. The God has, in his infinite wisdom, he has also foretold that birth in the Old Testament in absolute precision. I mean, surely, even as someone who came through those doors this morning, as as someone believing, surely you look at this and, and, and you marvel a little bit at it, don't you? I mean, think about it. That, what is it? More than... 
700 years beforehand that the very village of Jesus' birth is recorded. No. That, that, that more than, than 700 years beforehand, that the very family that Jesus would belong to is recorded in Scripture. Isn't that? No. That more than 700 years beforehand, that the harmony of God, is, is divinity is spoken of. Surely you, be, you begin to see it. Surely maybe even you begin to see the joy and the significance of Christmas this morning. That this baby everyone's talking about that this baby in a manger that he is Micah's exalted king so we see a stark prophecy of, of judgment and we do see a precise prophecy of, of a ruler and we'll end with a third point, third heading because we also see here an uplifting prophecy of peace so you got that? An uplifting prophecy of peace. Okay, now there's a, a whole load of buzzwords that, that are kicking around at Christmas time, aren't there? Um, more than at any other time of year, people talk to, talk to you, talk to me about goodwill Christmas buzzword. Or... Uh, maybe people will talk much more about joy at this time of year than they talk about it at any other time. I suppose chief amongst Christmas buzzwords is the word peace, isn't it? Uh, you know, everyone's kind of chirping on about peace, peace, and without really sort of tying it down to anything that is particularly concrete at all. Well, we, here, as we consider this new leader and this new leader's reign, what we find in verse 5, what we are promised in verse 5, is that he's going to come and he's going to bring with him peace. And it is real peace. It is lasting peace. It is true peace. So let's just think about that as, as, as we close. Just, just a couple of things for you to notice with me, please. Notice this. Notice that what is promised here is, is, is actually the rule of a shepherd leader. Did you see that? Look at, if, if you didn't, look at the start of verse 4 in your Bible. Look at the start of verse 4. Um, God says that this new, this new ruler is going to stand and he is going to shepherd He's going to shepherd his flock. Now, what does that mean that he's going to, this ruler is going to be a shepherd? Well, I don't know. Have you ever in your time seen a shepherd in action? Have you ever seen these guys do their work in the flesh? One of the, I was going to say one of the benefits of being brought up in Inverness. I'm not sure that that's really how I see it. But one of the things about being brought up in Inverness is that, of course, uh, I got to see uh, shepherds in action out in the, in, in the fields. You used to see this quite a lot. And let me tell you that these guys, these shepherds, are pretty serious blokes about their job. You know, like they take it seriously. They, 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 they really look after their sheep, <laughs> you know. They care for the sheep. They're trying to try to provide everything for these sheep. You know, the food and the 
shelter, providing everything. Now, now, wait a minute. Do you see what that means? Do you see what the verse here means for us? The shepherd. It means that this ruler we are talking about here, this child who was born in a manger, when he grew up, he wasn't going to become a ruler who was a despot or a dictator, or a, or a tyrant, or something like this. No, when he grows up, he is going to become a ruler, one who cares, one who rules like a shepherd. One who cares for his people, and cares for them in, 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 in every way, providing everything that is needed. Do you see what it means? It means that at this time of year, we can genuinely, as the people of God, rejoice. Because the one that is born in a manger he will not just rule but he will rule with love so he is a shepherd a shepherd leader but then the last the last element here this morning we should also note that we should also note this ruler's primary task now i know we've got one or two folk from lewis and uh, more rural parts of the world in today. And uh, I suppose they will have seen shepherds in action uh, over their time. But if you have spent time on a farm before, if you have seen shepherds in action, you will know a shepherd's primary task. You will know the first thing that a shepherd has to do. What is it? A shepherd, the first thing, the supreme thing that a shepherd has to do is ensure the safety of the sheep, isn't it? I mean, a shepherd has to guard the sheep. The shepherd has to watch over the sheep. And then we find in verse 4 here, what is, honestly, what I think is the most glorious promise. Because Micah says that because of the reign of this new leader, that the people of God, that you and I, friends, in Jesus Christ, we will be able to live securely. Live securely. Now, wait a minute. Think about how that prophecy would have been met by the people in Micah's day. They're hearing about an invasion and warfare, but then they hear the hope that God will provide security, that security was available in in God. But hang on a second. If, If... If you're a Christian this morning, please think about what it is that God is saying to you in that verse. God is saying that because, what does he say? He says, because this new ruler will will rule in the strength of the Lord. It means nothing, nothing will ever be able to drag you away from him. Nothing. It means that your ruler will always be watching over you. That today your ruler watches over you. He will eternally watch over you. It means, what's the psalm? It means that because the Lord is your shepherd, that you will dwell in the house of the Lord all your days. Spiritually speaking, you are entirely secure in Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Nothing ever, ever will be able to snatch you out of the arms 
of your great shepherd. And I tell you what, that, that is Christmas peace, isn't it? And I'll just end like this. In a moment or two, what's going to happen? The people of God will stand up and we will come to the table of the Lord. Now, if you are doing that, remember this. The prophecy in Micah is a prophecy of one who would come and deliver his people. Yes? But remember, he could only do that if that baby was to grow up and was to grow up and die. That the good shepherd is only the good shepherd because he laid down his life for the sheep. That this new ruler could only rule his people if he stood where we should have stood and endured what? Think about it. If he endured what? What did he have to endure? What did he have to endure? He had to be beaten. He had to stand where you should have stood. And he had to be hit across the cheek in humiliation by the Roman soldiers. He has done that. He has faced the shame. He has faced the humiliation that you should have faced. And I tell you, that's what we're celebrating at Christmas. Christmas is not just about us and some little nice fluffy manger and a baby. It's much, much more. At Christmas, we celebrate that from Bethlehem, one has come who is and always, always will be the shepherd ruler over Israel. Let's pray.